welcome back to Muppets in Space, a Farscape rewatch podcast on the incomparable. Tonight we're continuing our watch through season two, doing our usual two episodes per podcast. And this time around, those two are episode five, The Way We Weren't, and episode six, Picture If You Will. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and as always, joining me, my fellow co-host, somebody who has a keen eye for art, Jason Johnson. So, Eric, I have this uh, interesting piece of glass artwork laying around. Would you happen to be interested in it? I'll, I'll give it to you. Well, you know what they say, you know, I don't know anything about art, but I know what I like. So, sure. <laughs> yeah, don't accept free stuff from weird people. That's Anyway, we'll, we'll get to that point maybe, but yeah. <laughs> yeah that's good life advice. Just, you know. Nothing good is ever, usually ever free. Uh, and I guess before we jump into these two episodes, uh, in case you've been listening to the last couple, uh, we have been slightly harsh on the last several episodes. And kind of rightly so, because they weren't really that good. But uh, spoiler alert, we think these two episodes have redeemed season two and kind of brought it back to the level that we've come to expect from prior episodes, in my opinion. Which I agree with, as you'll see as we get into them. So Yeah, and speaking of which, let's get into season two, episode five, the way we weren't, or were not, depending on if you don't like punctuation or contractions. A squad of peacekeepers is marching through Moya, led by Lieutenant Velarek. They enter a pilot's den, but instead of our pilot that we've come to expect, it's a female pilot controlling the ship. Velarek has arrived to give her one final chance to cooperate with a secret project being implemented by the peacekeepers. That pilot refuses, stating that she has been bonded to Moya for 21 cycles, and tells him he will never understand the connection between them. Velarek tells pilot that another pilot has been found, muster her shock, and will replace her. She still refuses to cooperate and insists on the removal of the control collar on Moya, at which time Captain Krace enters, asking Velarek what is taking so long. Uh, once Krace is confirmed as a new pilot, he orders the peacekeeper troopers to fire, and they brutally kill the female pilot, which kind of takes a long time and like about a thousand shots, which, ew, anyway. I, evidently they're pretty durable. <laughs> apparently, apparently so. Krace uh, then orders Velarek to get on with it before leaving. Uh, the troops hanging around start kind of griping about the messy details of the job coming up to kind of extract the dead pilot, prompting Velarek to order them to keep their opinions to themselves. They all come to attention with a yes sir and take off their helmets. And one of them is Officer Aaron's son. Dun, dun, dun. Apparently this is all on a recording, being watched by a shocked Crichton and Chiana. Chiana found it while searching through their top tier of Moya. Neither of them can believe that Aaron was on Moya before and she helped kill the previous pilot which who knew there was a previous pilot. Most shows only have one pilot, so, you know. Yeah, it's kind of hard to have, you know, then be a co-pilot, which, you know. Uh, later, the rest of the crew, Aaron included, are watching the recording in disgust. Everybody kind of asks, and kind of gangs up on Aaron, asking why she never told them that she'd been on Moya before. And she kind of says that she's been on hundreds of Leviathans before, and she didn't know it was Moya. Zan, Rigel, and Darker were all on board three cycles ago when this happened, and say that maybe she tortured them too. She denies this, and you can't think they would remember that, but anyway. And Crichton tries to calm things down. Chiana, oddly enough, stands up for Aaron, reminding everybody that she was a peacekeeper and wonders what they all thought she did before. Aaron says that she was a peacekeeper then, and her life, relationships, and priorities were very, very different. We flash back to a prowler arriving on Moya. Velarek greets Aaron in the hangar and says that she could have asked what the cargo was, but she says that her only question would be why she was pulled off prowler duty, and when can she go back? The cargo in question? That replacement pilot, the one that we know as pilot. Crichton says that she saw pilot, their pilot, when he was brought aboard. She says that had she known it was him, she would have said so. Everyone leaves her, not knowing what to say. 
they're all upset, but agreeing that Pilot must not be allowed to see the recording. Crichton asks about Velarek, and she says it was his job to bond the new pilot to the, the Leviathan. And flashback again to Velarek, speaking with the new pilot, and trying to control him. Crace enters, and Velarek stuns pilot. Crace asks if Velarek's already running into problems. Cut back to the present. Aaron tells Crichton what's done is done. She can't talk about it. She leaves, but remembers Crace telling Velarek that his job is to install the new pilot and teach him how to use Moya. Velarek says that he is young, pilot, and it will take too long. Cray says that Velarek, like a pilot, can be replaced. Aaron steps up to ask to be reinstated to her pilot duty, but Crace ignores her and leaves. Still in the present, uh, Aaron is in the training room at the punching bag, beating the crap out of it to a point where her knuckles are bleeding from hitting it so hard. She breaks down in tears, and Crichton comes along asking what happened back then. Now she tells him that there is a reason that she kept him at a distance at times. Peacekeepers are bred for one purpose. Relationships do not involve connecting to anybody, particularly for any long period of time. Her relationships back then were somewhat painful. Crichton realizes that she's talking about Velarek. And speaking of which, flashback to Aaron and Velarek in bed together. Surprise. As Aaron tells Crichton that they were lovers. He's never heard her use that word before, but she says that she felt something unique with Velarek and guesses that it was love. Pilot appears on the comm system, recording in hand, telling Aaron that they must talk. Crichton is shocked that he got the tape, but Aaron says that she must go alone and, and talk to Pilot. Aaron enters Pilot's den. She apologizes to him and begs for forgiveness, telling him that no other two on the ship are as close as they are, and she still has some of his DNA inside her. Way back from episode... That was DNA the Man mad... Scientist. Yeah, yeah, that was the bad one that we hated. <laughs> but <laughs> See that episode, but don't. But just read us. Yeah. Trust us. <laughs> but just a point that they keep referring to it over and over again, so that part was good. The rest of it, not so much. Anyway, he tells her that it's because of these facts why the betrayal cuts so deep. Aaron reminds him that the DNA is also the same as Pilot that was killed, and how she felt when she watched the recording. However, this causes Pilot to lose control, and in a blind fury, lifts her up by the throat and tries to strangle her. And I guess while it's being happening, we flash back to Pilot being lifted into place in Moya, which is kind of cool. We kind of get to see the you know, Pilot's full body, and he has like claws and feet and stuff. Velarek removes the gag on Pilot and says that the ship's name is Moya. Back to the present, Pilot is still strangling Aaron, and she calls for Crichton. Dargo joins him as they run into his den. Back in the flashback, Velarek tells Pilot that they won't bond him naturally because it would take over a cycle. Back in the present, Crichton and Dargo try to stop Pilot, but he knocks him away and vents the air in the chamber. Back in the past, Pilot says that his presence will surprise Moya, but Velarek says that he has no more time to adjust to his new surroundings. And back in the future, Pilot throws Aaron down and says that she killed the Pilot who belongs on Moya and that she is defiling Moya with her presence. He then shuts down power to Moya, telling the crew that until Aaron leaves, Moya will move no further. Uh, then we find out what happened with Rigel, uh, with um, the tape. Uh, apparently, uh, Rigel, of course. So Chiana roughs up Rigel for showing Pilot the tape, and Dargo tries to restore the systems himself, but fails. Crichton realizes there's more to Pilot's anger than what's on the recording, and begins to realize just how bad life on Moya was under the Peacekeepers. Zan's uh, healing Aaron, but is angry with her, obviously. Aaron says that Pilot's right, she defies Moya with her presence, and she will leave. Zan, however, seeing Aaron is truly sorry and regretting being so harsh, apologizes, saying that Aaron had no choice back then. In that world, that was the only kind of peacekeeper she could be. Flashback to Aaron and Velarek in bed again. Aaron goes to leave, but Velarek keeps her there and asks her to stay with him, saying that he could make it happen. He says that there is something special about her, and asks if all she wants is to fly prowlers and serve a madman like Krace. Aaron looks kind of shocked and says that's insubordination. 
But he says that Krace is a maniac, and that's, yeah, true, and that he will not let Krace's project kill this Leviathan. He asks Aaron again to come with him, and she can be so much more than she is now. Also, in the flashback, we see Pilot being bonded, uh, which apparently is kind of like a you know ad hoc kind of process. He's being grafted in, and he says that he's in great pain. Relaric says that, unfortunately, that's a permanent side effect of this grafting process. He tells Pilot not to be afraid and brings Moya back to consciousness. Moya recognizes that he is not her original pilot and starts to violently buckle. However, Velric forces her to accept the change by hurting her through the control collar. Creighton is horrified by the revelation that Moya didn't choose to accept pilot, but was tortured into it. When pilot suddenly kind of goes berserk and rips out his bond or the connection to her. Uh, as you can probably imagine, systems start to fail everywhere, and Creighton asks pilot what's he done and tries to reassess the damage. Pilot simply states that the pain is finally gone. Aaron tells Crichton that Pilot has likely been in pain the whole time, and that they need Pilot's help to fix things. Flashback to Velaric giving Pilot control of the DRDs as Aaron watches. He whispers to some of his team. Pilot then asks him what this secret project he means, but Velaric says that it's nothing for him to concern himself with. Back in the present, uh, Aaron says that she, has, she has to talk to Pilot, but he has isolated himself in his den. Aaron says it's all her fault, so Crichton asks what else happened, but she just says that she has to talk to him. She and Crichton make their way to Pilot, and Crichton asks again what happened. So we flash back to Aaron massaging Velaric, saying she wants to go with him now. She asks, will they go? And he says he doesn't know. Aaron tells him to please change his mind, whatever he did with Crace's plan to put it back. As Velaric questions her, Crace enters and arrests him, and asks if she is the informant. She says yes, and he rewards her by allowing her to return to her prowler duty. Velaric says he told her that she was special and is taken away. Crichton asks what happened to Velaric? But Aaron's silence implies that he was executed, probably. She tells Crichton that Velarek never revealed what he did, so it would have been assumed that he'd been caught before he carried out his sabotage. But now she knows the full truth. Crace's project was to breed a Leviathan warship, and apparently Velarek's act of sabotage was to install that contraceptive shield which Dargo shattered back in Season 1, which led to the creation of Talon, Moya's offspring. Uh, Aaron and Crichton get into Pilot's den and dodge a DRD attack. Pilot doesn't want to talk, but... Crichton says that he wants to help Pilot because otherwise everyone will die, Pilot included. Pilot will starve to death due to the lack of nutrients, and without Pilot, life support for the crew will stop working. Pilot says that Moya is better off without him. Aaron says that she deserves to die as well, and won't stop him from killing her, but asks him to spare the others and himself. He says that it's not her who deserves death, it's actually him. He didn't just replace the old Pilot. Now we flash back to Pilot's homeworld, as Pilot tells Velarek that he wants so badly to see the stars. He is very young, and although he asked the elders to be bonded to the Leviathan, they turned him down, saying he wasn't yet ready, and they weren't sure if he would ever be ready. Velarek offers him a Leviathan, saying that the old pilot will die no matter what he does. Velarek will find someone else if pilot disagrees. He tells him that this is his one chance, he just has to be brave enough to take it. Back in the prison, pilot tells Aaron that it was the moment the old pilot's fate was sealed, and soon as he agreed, so he's responsible for her death, not Aaron. Valorek might never have found someone else to agree, but he was so desperate to see the stars. Aaron strokes Pilot's cheek in the same way Valorek did when he first came aboard, saying that now she couldn't fathom not doing such a thing. She says that they've come a long way since then, and they have a long way to go, and asks him to take the journey with her. Pilot strokes her face back and says that he knows a way to get temporary control of Moya's systems. Later, Dargo works to restore Pilot's basic controls over Moya, and the crew that agreed that Pilot should be allowed to bond naturally with her. Pilot warns that that bonding could take a, a cycle or two, and it may mean hard times ahead for the crew since he won't have as much control as he used to, 
but Dargo assures him that it does not matter and he deserves it. Pilot promises to prove he's worthy of Moya and them. Dargo completes the joining process and Pilot says that there is no longer any pain. And finally, uh, Crichton tells Aaron that Velaric was right. In a new place, she will thrive. She says that Velaric told her she could be so much more and it's exactly what Crichton said the first day he was here and met her for the first time. Crichton asks if she thinks she loves this man, Velaric, and after a long look, they smile. The end. Some trivia about this episode. The flashback scenes were processed using a technique known as bleach bypass to give them that unique look when they faded in and out. For the scenes with a younger version of Pilot, the creature shop adapted the usual model but gave him a smaller carapace. Lanny Tupu, who plays Krace, considers the scene where Velrek visits Pilot's planet to entice him to come to Moya as one of his favorites in the series. The scene in which Pilot grabs Aaron by the throat was done with detachable arms, as the puppet's arms were not that long to do it for real. And Rockne O'Bannon, one of the creators, did the staff pass on the script and liked it for its new perspective on the characters. Uh, he says, that's the fun of doing a series. You take characters that you think you know, but there's something in their past that changes your perception of them but informs why they've done the things that they have done. All right, so that was a, a long recap, but it was a very important and actually very good episode, as we said before. So what are your initial thoughts, Jason? Well, you know, I, I think we've kind of hit on that we really enjoyed this episode. It's it's kind of neat to get different perspectives and different, you know, the, 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 the history um, and the, the backstory on the pilot and how pilots, it's, you know, some more information on how pilots work with the, Leviathans, because we really kind of have spotty knowledge, at least I feel like we do, of how that worked before this. Yeah, I, I will say that, uh, you know, in, in honesty, you know, coming off the last two episodes, when I found out this was going to be a another antagonistic episode within the crew, right, it was mostly internal strife, I was not too happy. But I think they did a good enough job with it that they, you know, I quickly got past that and enjoyed the episode. Yeah, they don't spend too much time on the kind of angry side glances or... or cold shoulders or whatever you know they i guess they're forced to get on with it because pilot severs control and they all have to like fight to keep surviving <laughs> so that kind of kind of trumps any you know petty little tiff or whatever right so yeah i mean I've, I've made no bones about the fact that my favorite or my least favorite episodes are the ones that are just the crew fighting right i'd, I'd much rather them be unified against an external threat in this case the external threat was their own history so they did eventually get there which made it worthwhile yeah, and it's finally cool to have like a pilot-centric, or pretty much mostly pilot-centric, pilot and Aaron, but more or less a pilot-centric story. She's which, a pilot too, right, now? so Yeah, I mean, she's technically a pilot too, right? So we had so, three you know, pilots in this episode. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, and you know, even though you know Pilot's not really a main character, although he, I guess he could be. I mean, you know, he's on the credits, obviously, because he's not a real actor and they don't have to pay him. It is cool to get his backstory, because you always wonder, like, how... I, th I think we've even asked before, like, you know, how long do they live? How... You know where they where they what their plant looked like, how they grew up, and how they got bonded to these Leviathans, right? And this pretty much answers all those questions. Yeah, and we even learned that you know he wasn't even the first pilot of Moya, right? Well, and not only was he not the first pilot of Moya, but we learned that in their species, it's actually possible that some of them don't get bonded at all, right? I mean, we, I just took it for granted that that's what they did. They they had that symbiotic relationship, and each each pilot got a vessel, and Turns out if they decide you don't get one, you don't get one. Yeah, because it's some kind of like elders or council of elders or whatever, like, you know, obviously older pilot species, whatever species is, we don't know, still know what species name is. But, you know, they're older pilots who must be able to, 
I mean, I, I kind of liken it to in Star Trek, like the trill, right? There's, you know, some trill get bonded with the symbiotes and some don't, right? So, so they should go through this process, I guess, of training or um, inspection or tests or whatever. And in this case, you know, our pilot didn't pass and they thought he would never, you know, ever be involved with a Leviathan. And I guess we learned that, you know, he didn't like that idea and he really wanted to go see the stars. And when he was enticed or not brainwashed, but he was, I guess he was tricked or manipulated into volunteering since the Velarek says, well, this pilot's going to die anyway. So, Hey, you know, I'm offering you the chance. And, you know, he jumps on it. You know, he, he takes the, you know, he takes that chance and gets bonded kind of quickly and painfully apparently, which we didn't know about. And, you know, there we go. Yeah. And I, I will say that the, it does leave you with the, the lasting question I think of, is pilot a name? Is pilot a species? And if, if it's a species, why don't they have names? But maybe we'll get there one day. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, you know, their name is so complicated that, you know, we can't understand it, right? So, but it's kind of cool that, you know, jumping to the end, I guess, since we're talking about pilot uh, at the moment, that, you know, and we certainly learned that, you know, he wasn't just the victim. And, you know, he and Aaron both think of each other as the victim. You know, so in, you know pilot, I guess, either not forgot, but Basically, as he learns Aaron was involved in the previous of why he got where he got, he gets more upset and tried to kill her. But then they eventually come around to the fact that, like, well, okay, he's also guilty too. And that, you know, he's kind of sorry that he tried to kill her. And, you know, they kind of make peace at the end, which is as he should. I mean, <laughs> so you can have a antagonistic pilot and Aaron and the rest of the crew running around. Yeah, I mean, they've got to get eventually at the end of these episodes back to a equilibrium to continue with the next episode or, or it messes them up, right? Yeah, and now as we learn that, you know, since Pilot was, you know, last minute, got to get it done today, not let it take a year or a cycle, that, you know, he was kind of force bonded to Moya. Like, it wasn't Moya's choice, you know, they didn't have the chance to grow naturally and have it be a natural fit. He was basically grafted on the fly to Moya by Velarek, and that apparently caused him, I guess he's been in pain this whole time for the last three years, right? That's what he said. Yeah, which again, if if I have to have a few small critiques, you know, as we tend to do in these type of analysis, I think that's my my main one with this episode is that I would have liked for that pain to have been foreshadowed, even if it's just kind of small things throughout the previous episodes to kind of give us a a hint, because that was a really cool, I think, um, detail that we got that, that his forced bonding left him in pain, but it, we only got the reveal in the episode where we also got the resolution. So they don't have True. to touch on it again. So I, not that I think that, you know, they necessarily need to drag the resolution out, but it would have been neat that we had some hints at it beforehand so we could go, oh, that's what that was, right? So Yeah, like it was just kind of like, like a throwaway thing in the script that, oh, let's just toss this in here to make it you know, seem even more horrific. And, you know, oh, he's been, you know, in constant pain or, well, just pain. I didn't say constant pain, but I'm assuming constant pain for, you know, three years now. And, you know, oh, yeah, okay, that's fine now. But yeah, yeah, it was... But it is a cool detail. I mean, I really, that, that's one of my favorite things that they, they threw in there was that, you know, this forced process they did, you know, was painful. And I hope that we get some payoff off of that where in later episodes, he's still having trouble controlling it, right? Because that'd be kind of cool to see him work for the next year to get it bonded. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like where they're going because he says that now he's not naturally bonded, so he's still not really bonded yet, that he's doing it probably the hard way, you know, manually. He's probably, you know, he's pushing those levers up and down <laughs> instead of, having Moya do it or whatever, or they have to communicate maybe through, you know, the comm system or through the DRDs or something instead of how they were communicating before, like telepathically or whatever. So yeah, it'll be fun to see. 
because you know they're, they're pretty good at this sort of thing where if you know they, if they have like kind of this thread they'll run it through you know the other episodes of the season so hopefully we'll see something you know i don't think we saw it next the episode because they filmed it out of order but hopefully next couple episodes or whatever the rest of the season we, which we have like what 19 episodes to go or whatever that hopefully they'll throw in some elements here there of things taking too long or things not ha- happening fast enough because he doesn't have direct control anymore right i guess this episode obviously was you know flashback heavy uh, which sometimes in some series they kind of don't mix the flashbacks too well with what's going on in the current reality like the first episode the first season of um the witcher confused a lot of people because they kept time jumping and you didn't really know about it you, you kind of caught on some people caught on pretty early but other people didn't catch on to like the last episode that oh wait this was oh she was from the past so here they did a pretty good job of mixing the flashbacks with the current timeline and not kind of confusing you they kind of intermingled and built off each other yeah i, I completely agree with that you know i think between that aging technique that you mentioned of you know, separating out the flashback transitions and um, the clear break between several of the characters. You know, even Aaron didn't act like today's Aaron, right? So you really weren't confused at any point about which Aaron you were watching. So they did a really good job of keeping that going and uh, keeping us from being lost in a recursive clip loop. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we went with the infinite Skeletor, infinite Aaron pilot clip loop. There's a crossover for you. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be an interesting show. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, obviously, since only Aaron and Pilot were in the past, flashbacks. We, well, I guess we saw Zan briefly walking down the hallway, you know, because she was a prisoner. But they really go into it, and they kind of ignore it. So you could pretty much tell, besides the, you know, special wipes they did to say, oh, by the way, you know, in Wayne's world, you know, you know, <laughs> flashback. So yeah, we just needed the, you know, the beep, beep, you know, beep. But yeah, it worked. It worked. I don't. I didn't ever get lost. So I yeah. thought that was well done. And um. We do have obviously character development in the present too. Apparently, Chiana had Aaron's back when the rest of the crew was pretty angry at her. Uh, she even, you know, Chiana even said, you know, what you think she used to do, as if she was like this nice person, you know, in the past, right? But then in the next episode, which we'll get to in a second, uh, Aaron could be joking with Crichton that she says she could live without Chiana and Rigel not being on Moya, as they caused too many problems. It's like, you know, hey, she just stood up for you like last episode. Now you're gonna kick her off the ship? I mean, come on, but. That's due to the episode order, not which they which they comment about later that we'll hear, but not because she really didn't like her anymore. Yeah, and and again, I think you hit on it just then that I, I like the character play, and I I think that that was based on the look Aaron gave at the end of the the scene. I think she was just messing with Crichton that whole time, but you know, it, it also could just be the out of order thing. Yeah, I'm gonna talk up to more of the out of order thing than uh, Aaron just suddenly becoming knowing with uh, Tiana, and, you know, in the span of like you know a week or whatever. <laughs> And uh, I guess we do get some more follow-up on, you know, Peacekeeper life back in the day. We learned that, um, I guess, the Peacekeeper command or hierarchy or whatever you want to call it, understands that having a mixed-gender crew has to work together, so they're allowed to, quote-unquote, fraternize, but they can't form any long-term commitments, like romantic commitments, because obviously their career is not, I guess, suited for that kind of thing. And But I guess stuff happens, obviously, because you can't control feelings, right? So Aaron and Valeric do kind of fall in love with, with each other. And probably would have, I guess, gone away. But I guess somehow that must have scared Aaron somehow. And she turned him in eventually. Yeah. I, I, that, again, if I want to throw out some nitpicks, I'm not a big fan of, you know, hey, this past relationship thing now is going to cause issues in our current relationship. You know, and they kind of were trying to set that up, I felt like, between Crichton and Aaron. But 
Uh, overall, you know, again, any information we get on the, the backstory of the universe is always cool. From from that standpoint, everything we learned in this episode was was neat. It's just, you know, again, I'm not big on that character split, you know, thing. Let's just move on. But yeah. Yeah, the, the last scene with John and Aaron talking about, well, did you love him? I'm like, well, yeah, she said she did. So, but obviously, I think they hinted at the fact that he's probably dead anyway. So is it really a problem now? No, you're kind of like just making false drama for the sake of, oh, and now is there a wedge between John and Aaron? No, there's not going to be, but, you know, just, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, and and to be fair, I feel a little bit better about it now that you pointed out that they think that the hint was that he was executed because I missed that. And I could just picture, you know, the next couple episodes, they head off to try to rescue him because he's holed up in some peacekeeper prison or something and they're going to try to save him because Aaron wants him to or something. I don't know. I, I, I was, I could, I was picturing that in my head as I watched that scene. So, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of guessing that they didn't know or I don't know where Scorpius was at this point in time. So I don't know if that Aurora chair from last season was around and, or they doing doing the old old fashioned, what are you hiding? You know, we'll learn, you know, we'll, we'll torture you to get out what you did with our, my secret project of breeding a Leviathan worship and, Sounds like pretty much just, you know, they, they cart him off and you can pretty much figure out that he's gone forever. That's it. Which actually we also learned that, you know, it's not just Aaron that uh, isn't, uh, or eventually learns to, to become a nice peacekeeper or ex-peacekeeper. Velaric did kind of have somewhat of a conscience. I mean, he wasn't exactly a saint because he was, or I guess he knew what he could control, what he couldn't control, right? So he, he let the old pilot die because he was going to die anyway, because she wasn't going to cooperate. And I guess his whole goal was he wanted to kind of sabotage this uh, Leviathan peacekeeper hybrid ship concept or experiment that Chrysler's running. So he tried to stop it the best way he could, although, yeah, he still wasn't exactly, I guess, clean hands of the whole thing, I guess, right? Yeah, and it really didn't work out that great for him at the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's either in prison or dead at this point, so. Yeah, and somebody not related to what happened found out or, you know, indirectly undid his work to put that uh, contraceptive shield on Moya. You know, they broke it anyway, and Crace's goal of a Leviathan peacekeeper warship came to be, and now he's in control of it and somewhere. So that yeah. kind of backfired every possible way it could probably backfire, except for the peacekeepers being able to reproduce that so far that we've seen anyway, and create a whole fleet and a fleet of these. So Yeah, and technically it's not in peacekeeper control because he got fired. So I'm not really sure how that dynamic will work out. But Yes, yeah, so now he's an ex peacekeeper. But you know, Valerie did say that, you know, Crace is a maniac, and yeah, that's kinda true. So you know, he he did kind of mellow somewhat as he got kind of captured by his own you know people and messed up. You know, uh, but yeah, he's still not a good dude. So which, yeah, even though he spent time in the chair, he's probably not rehabilitated. So yeah, as far as we know at this moment, obviously we got a season and a half to go. Who knows? But yeah, so far not a nice dude. Any other final thoughts on this one? No, just it was a great episode. I loved it, and I look forward to more good episodes. All right. Well, speaking of more good episodes, season two, episode six, picture, if you will. Tana is browsing a small commerce station along with Rigel and Aaron. The shopkeeper, Kyvan, offers Tana a painting and Rigel a Hanarian tiara. Ooh, say that three times fast. He takes it in exchange for one food cube. And as they leave, Kyvan gives Tana the painting, which is of her wearing her favorite necklace for free, saying that it is a window in time. Yeah, never accept free stuff. I thought we, we we said this before. This is just a bad idea all around. Yeah, you know, learn learn from Space Muppets, folks. You know, don't take free stuff. 
Back on Moya, Crichton and Dargo are trying to fix the defense screen, and Pilot tells them that they're experiencing anomalies. Chana, Rigel, and Aaron return, and Chana sees a DRD carrying her necklace. She takes it back, and the painting changes to her with a broken leg. When she gets up, she trips on the DRD, and a snapping sound is heard. This leads to Chana thinking that the painting can predict the future, but Crichton doesn't buy it. Zan wonders if it's one of the others playing tricks. Since Pilot assigned the DRD to find the necklace a while ago, Crichton thinks it's just a coincidence. Zan wants to perform tests on the painting, and despite Chana's objections, she gets a piece to study. Meanwhile, Rigel discovers that the tiara is actually authentic. Dargo asks Chana if she really wants to know the future and wants her to get rid of the painting because he is concerned. She asks if he really cares what happens to her, and he does, and she says that she's glad he does. Dargo says that he wants her to be sensible and get rid of it, but she gets annoyed and then forces him to leave. Aaron and Crichton discuss the situation with both of them in lousy mood. Aaron suggests that Kyvan set up all up because Chana insulted her art. Crichton half jokes that if it was up to him, every door would be locked up so nothing that can be a danger can get in, and Aaron tells him that if she had her way, Roger will be thrown off the ship, and possibly Chiana too, since they both caused trouble. Crichton takes offense at this and asks if she would feel better if everyone, including Pilot, was gone so she could have the ship to herself. When Aaron asks if he's offering, Crichton storms out. Zen is doing some analysis and hears a voice. Crichton enters and startles her, and she says everything is not okay. He asks her to tell him, but she can't find anything in the painting. Crichton says that it must have all been in Chiana's mind, but Zan says no. Chana is in danger. She can't tell Crichton what because she only has suspicions, but she says that soon she may need everyone to do exactly as she says, quickly and without questions, and asks if he'll obey. Crichton says that when the time comes, he'll back her up, and she wants the portrait so she can destroy it. Chana screams as the painting has turned into showing her burning in flames. Crichton runs to the portrait to Zan while the others go to the cargo bay. Dargo puts Chana in the freezer pilot can regulate the temperature and keep the air flowing, he and Crichton decide to leave Chana in there to play it safe. However, despite the fact that nothing in the freezer is combustible, Chana suddenly catches fire. As she screams, the others try desperately to get the doors open, but nothing works, and the door controls don't respond for pilot. Eventually it does open, but by then Chana has seemingly burnt to death and is left with only ashes. Rigel goes to Zan and asks why she couldn't have saved Chana. Zan blames herself, but Crichton says that they should dispose of the painting, so Zan burns it. Pilot tells Aaron that there was nothing wrong with the freezer, and nothing he or Moya did caused it. Dargo calls Crichton to the central chamber. The painting has repaired itself and shows Dargo, so they smash it on the floor before it finishes changing. Dargo wants to flush it out the airlock, and Aaron decides to go to Kyvan for answers, taking Crichton's module much to her displeasure, as her prowler is in the middle of maintenance. They flush the painting out and move away from the fragments, and Zan again hears a voice in the corridor. Aaron flies away in the module and discovers Rigel hiding in the back. He wants to make a profit and settle the score with Kyvan at the same time, admitting that he will miss Chiana. The painting reconstitutes itself and shows now shows Dargo impaled. Zan freaks out and Dargo says it symbolizes a qualta blade, so he gives it to Zan to lock away. Dargo tells Crichton that he's been a good friend, when Aaron's prowler, which he is standing in front of, suddenly activates and lurches forward, skewering Dargo. Crichton is horrified, however Dargo then shatters into pieces and disappears. Because that's not strange at all. 
Dargo is transported to a strange place where he he hears Chiana. She thinks that they're in the portrait. Meanwhile, Aaron and Rigel arrive on the station to confront Kyvan and threatens to shoot her. She says that she was forced to paint the portrait by Maldus. Meanwhile, the portrait has changed yet again and this time shows Crichton being electrocuted. Aaron tells Crichton and Zan over the comms and she says that they only disperse Maldus and she knew that he'd coalesce again one day. Zan starts praying and Crichton tells Aaron to get some information. Zan grabs Crichton and tells him via their bond of unity that she has a plan. She says that he must focus Maldus' attention on him for as long as possible and says to ignore what she says next. She breaks the bond and Zan says they can't beat Maldus. She is giving up and pushes him into an exposed circuit. Crichton is transported inside the picture in a hallway full of arches and here's Dargo. The archways apparently take you to somewhere else, so Dargo tells Crichton not to go through. Crichton calls Maldus, who appears behind him. Maldus says he is saving his revenge for Zan and wants her to first see her shipmates die. He then starts calling Zan again. The portrait changes now to display Zan's broken body. Zan goes to Pilot and he says he'll do exactly as she asked. Maldus tells Crichton that Zan is afraid because she is alone. Zan tries to leave the den, but slips off the walkway and falls into the abyss below, causing her to appear inside the painting, where Crichton tells her not to give up. He tells everyone to stay calm so that Maldus can't feed on their fear, and Maldus threatens Earth, Dargo's son Jothi, and the prospect of sending Chana back to Nibari Prime in an attempt to push their buttons. He turns to Zan and starts walking on top of her, saying that in 100 microts, he will finish them. Pilot sends a priority message to Aaron to kill Kyvan and leave fast. Aaron shoots Kyvan, and she and Rigel just manage to escape in the module before the commerce station shatters like glass. Maldus is weakened, and Zan jumps up and suddenly gives him a good beating, throwing him into an archway. They all leave quickly through a portal in the wall back into Moya. A giant hand appears and attempts to grab them. The DRDs shoot the hand as well as John shooting it with Aaron's prowler, and it all smashes. Later, Chan is eating with Rigel and asks why her leg is hurt. He doesn't know and says he doesn't know what happened with Maldus and Kyvan. She explains the whole thing to him, but he still doesn't get it. Crichton asks Zan if Maldus is gone for good, but she says she doesn't know. She adds that her fear wasn't an act. She's never been more scared in her life. A little trivia. Uh, Zan's bomb with Crichton is a reference to Rhapsody in Blue from Season 1. Virginia Hay stated in a web chat that kicking, quote, kicking Maldus's ass gave me great joy. Every moment is heaven playing Zan. I really do love being her. Rotney O'Bannon commented about the return of Maldus, saying, We liked Maldus as a villain, so whenever you've got someone like that, you want to bring them back if you can and see if you can do more. The episodes with him become less concrete because the ground rules of what he's capable of are less certain. This episode normally airs after The Way We Weren't, which is how we watched it, but was produced first and contains a few scenes, most notably the discussion between Crichton and Aaron in the mess hall, that breaks some character development continuity. Which we mentioned before of how Aaron wanted to throw her off the ship versus a week ago she was like stood up for her and said, Aaron's a great person, don't be mad at her. So there you go. Yeah, a little back and forth there. And the title is reminiscent of the opening of The Twilight Zone, where Rod Sterling often stated, Imagine, if you will. See, I told you. Maltz was confused, too. Yeah, and just to clarify, that's Rod Rod Serling, not Sterling. I can't speak. <laughs> anyway. 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure Rod got. I'm sure Rod got that a lot back in the day. Yeah, you know when you when you, that name should have a T in it, regardless of how he spells it. Anyway, th- thoughts on this episode? So, kind of as we hinted at in the beginning of this whole thing, yeah, th- this was fantastic. I-, I loved, I loved everything about this episode. We have tons of callbacks to season one, which I love when you start calling back to everything, which just proves that this is, isn't like a week to week, forget what happened last week, kind of show. And we even get Maldus name dropping the title. So good job, buddy. Yeah, I, I was disappointed that we didn't get a title drop last time uh, in the last episode. So I was kind of watching for it in this one, and I did cheer a little bit when he threw that out there. Yeah, because our guesses for last time weren't really true. Yet. Well, I guess we figured that this time a painting, so that's about the only thing we got right. But yeah, it was kind of Twilight Zoney, I guess, sort of. Yeah, they, you know, we're we're not the best at this, so yeah. 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 But but it's fun, and we'll get to you. <laughs> hey, fifty percent, fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. That's Vegas odds. Yeah. Yeah, that works. We just, you know, just don't gamble and bet on us to being right, and then you'll be okay. Well, just don't take anything free. So gambling is well, well, yeah, anyway. well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't ever take free stuff from a strange person in a sci-fi show. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, obviously, well, me anyway, having watched the last couple of seasons, you know, I knew Chana wasn't dead, and you know, you're kind of waiting for them to reveal more as the episode went on, like what happened to her, and then when Dargo dis- when Dargo disappears after being killed, I kind of actually, necess- yeah, I kind of thought to myself. Hey, I wonder if this is that Q-like alien in season one that forced Crichton and Crace to, you know, fight each other. And wait, what do you know? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I, I didn't think we were going to get that good of a, a, a callback. So that, that one surprised me in a good way. But, you know, we always kind of know that in those situations where we think they, they imply their characters died, if it's one of our main title cast, unless it's like a season finale or something, very rarely do we see that. So it's a little less impactful. But, you know, the, it was a way to, a cool way to transition them to the other plane, right? So I, I did enjoy that part. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of rare, I guess, back in those days to, like, bring on a character for a while and then kill them off and be dead forever. So, yeah, you kind of know that this is her main crew. She's in opening credits, right? And, you know, she I mean, before when she wasn't, okay, maybe, but now she's in the credits, right? So she's safe. Yeah, something that wasn't exactly clear, but I guess it didn't really have to be, was that throughout the episode, obviously, Zan knew something was going on. And she was up to something, right? You know, she just said like, you know, be ready if I tell you something, just do it, don't ask. So you know, she has she had some kind of plan that she was formulating, right? Not quite sure when she knew it was Maldus or not. Uh, maybe the first time he whispered to her, maybe later. You know, did, did they didn't really say? And to be honest, that didn't like you know make this a bad episode or anything or, or have a negative impact on the storyline. So I kind of thought that she was just playing scared to fool Maldus, right? Like you know, she, she has it linked to Crichton, which happened in back in season one, and saying like you know. I know it's him, you know, just, you know, do what I say, everything will be fine. And then, you know, I thought she was faking saying, well, we're screwed. I can't do anything. I'm scared. We can't beat him, right? Yeah, I I um, kind of was the same way. I, I figured that she knew from the start who it was, you know, from the first time she kind of heard that voice or whatever. I, I said, okay, Zan knows what's going on. I had a pretty good faith in her, but so much faith that I actually, again, thought that she was faking being scared and that, you know, she was playing mall just the whole time. And uh, we get the nice reveal at the end that no, she was actually terrified. So yeah, which I, I guess makes sense when you think about it, because last time it took her and this other I can't remember the guy's name who was another kind of priest type person on the planet that, that Malice was on. It took both of them combined to beat him with Crichton helping out too a little bit here and there, and you know that one guy died at the end. So yeah, I mean yes. this, this time it's just her. Although granted, she is a more powerful Pau. But still, it's just her alone, basically. 
And speaking of that, uh, maybe I'm bad at noticing details, but was the collar new? Because I felt like the last two episodes that showed up, maybe I'd forgotten that she had it previously, but that seemed... Some of the her wardrobe changes these last episode just kind of stood out to me. Yeah, I think this season, like at, at some point she stopped wearing... Maybe when she gave up being a priest and went back to being, like, I guess learning or whatever again and then i think she came to grips with that so maybe she put on like not quite priestly garments but she, she's wearing like a different outfit this season which i guess you know new season new episode new outfit right i don't know yeah th- th- that collar just seemed a lot more intricate than i remembered it being with a lot more color and stuff on it but um and then i think at the end of the episode she was wearing like a different robe or something that i hadn't seen so anyway i th- that just stood out to me that maybe some subtle stuff that she's getting a little more power and a little more confidence so yeah, I mean, she's more modest this season. Last season, she was like cropping her clothes every every other episode or whatever. <laughs> now she's like fully, you know, like wrapped up in clothing this time. But I don't know. Got to got to have the robes, man. Yeah, and then kind of the fun deal with foreshadowing future or thinking that things are foreshadowing the future. You know, I kind of love that painting. Is like kind of you, you kind of wonder like, is the painting really showing you the future, so that you know what's going to happen, making you think that's what's going to happen, or is it just there i think even dargo or someone said something like not trying to make what you see happen happen or quite did maybe something like that you know don't be like a predestination you know kind of thing so you can't always yeah it, it's you can always wonder like it's it, a good no i'm oh, sorry <laughs> i was gonna say it's, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. thing right you know you're you you're, you're sub- subconsciously trying to, to complete it although my catch to that is the the prowler jumping into forward and and stabbing dargo kind of Nix is that right? Because that wasn't something they made happen. That was literally mystical something pushing the plane into him. So, yeah, and, and that's kind of where things kind of fall apart. Where the the, the future thing, it's like yeah, for Chiana, you know, we didn't know, you know, so they think, oh, she's going to burn to death. Let's put her in the freezer, you know, and then she burns up anyway. And then yeah, with, with Dargo, it's like, oh, it, it's the it's a culture blade. He thinks so. Here, take this and go hide it somewhere. Well, okay, but well, there's still a sharp, pointy things which. In this case, yeah, it made no sense where it just suddenly just turn on and jump through them. So yeah, okay, something's, you know, because this, this isn't the future happening. This is someone screwing with you, right? And then, you know, the last two, you know, Zan's just like, yeah, whatever, and just throws Crichton into the, <laughs> into the thing and kills him. <laughs> it's because he knows that he's not going to die. And then it kind of sounded like she fell by accident and killed her, you know, quote unquote, killed herself, but she probably just jumped in there. It's like, okay, it's time to have the final showdown. You know, let's just get on with it. I do think she accidentally fell, but it it was kind of the right timing, so it worked. Yeah, because you know she's still afraid, you know, which apparently she was really afraid, and it didn't really matter at that point. What could she prepare for at that point, right? Either it's going to happen or it's not. So time to just cut to the end, basically. I I do want to give them credit for bringing back a past villain. I know you kind of touched on this earlier, but so far this this show really hasn't had a lot of continuity in in villains outside of Crace and Scorpius, right? I mean. Everything else we've, every other villain we've hit has been a one shot in and out, and and I appreciate having somebody from else from season one come back and give them a chance to, to fight again. Yeah, because so far it's just been the peacekeepers as the big bad, you know, big bad people and big bad organization, right? So you can kind of milk that for a while, and then it is nice to know that since this is like a twenty episode season, twenty two episode season, that it's not just all the same plot line for twenty two episodes like it is nowadays when you have only six to. 10 episodes right you kind of have that um what they call that that um conservation of characters where you know there's only so many characters you can keep bring in you can't you don't want to bring in any new people because there's only so many episodes left so you have to keep reusing the same people over and over again whereas here they got 20 plus episodes they can pull from yeah it's kind of cool to actually bring back which i, I for some reason i was thinking maldus was one and done 
don't know why. Maybe because I, I remember seeing him before. I mean, again, but I know I didn't see all the episodes, and apparently so. So here he is again. And, and speaking of continuity, I also have to give a, a call out to the crackers because <laughs> I, I crack up every time the crew are sitting around eating crackers or throwing fat crackers at each other. That that just amuses me greatly. I love the fact that crackers have been con- con- continuity this season. Yeah, but I, I thought crackers didn't matter. Well, evidently they matter to, the, to <laughs> the prop people who keep them around. So, <laughs> yeah, when you, when you got that prop, you, and it's, it's it's cheap props too, right? Just go buy some, uh, you know, crackers off the shelf, and there you go, food cubes, everybody. Yeah, this this season's food cubes brought to you by Saltine. That's right. So, any other callouts about this other outstanding episode? No, I th- I think uh, you know, as we've kind of said, we had some some back to back enjoyable episodes. So. Yeah, lots of callbacks and lots of character development and learning more about our lovely characters and seeing them, how they handle an old, nasty, super powerful villain where you know, Zan just basically kicks his butt up and down the causeway there, you know, archways. And... Yeah, and, and, the, and the the hand coming out was pretty cool, too. I'll, 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 I'll reference that one more time. I did like the hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, maybe they saved up on that budget for the, the effects for that because it was and it didn't really matter it was, it was kind of cheesy when they went to this other realm because it was kind of like you know half there half you know it was kind of like half built on the set half not it was kind of like they just kind of slapped it together but they didn't have to be all realistic about it because it was just like like first you know this half other world farce kind of thing they didn't have to like flesh it out right so they could spend more money on the effects yeah all right so we kind of did talk about it but in general what did you think about you know about these two episodes together yeah, so you know, we, we we definitely are back in the groove, right? We're back and getting, you know, so hopefully this is the, the turning point, and the rest of the season will continue on this track. Yeah, because you know we're back into what we knew as season one of Farscape: the the comedy, the drama, the the crew, sometimes bickering with each other in fun, nice, you know, ways. And yeah, it's just it's just back to what it should be, which I guess makes sense when you have time to write the episode and produce it and flesh it out versus. The last couple, which seemed like they were like, well, this one's taking too long, so we kind of threw this one together because we have enough time to work on it, and that kind of shows. So if they have time to work on it, they do great stuff. Yeah, and you know, maybe the season opener took too long, you know, and and like we said, we know they they rushed the last two, so hopefully we're back on track and and they don't get off course any farther. So yeah, maybe they're you know sci-fi masters are you know happy with the progress and let them get back to writing and not cranking out episode every ten days or whatever it was. It is a significant number of episodes for a season, you gotta admit. So. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, I've heard stories and read behind the scenes stuff where they're working like, you know, 10, 14 hour days for like, you know, a week and they get like a day or two off and they're back to working, you know, on the next script and have to build new sets. And so it's like, yeah, it's it's a lot back when you're working on 22 episodes in a year because, you know, it's only 26 every other week and then probably producing and stuff. So it's probably like, takes like a couple of weeks per episode and you only have 52 weeks in a year to get the season out, right? So, I mean, yeah, you're kind of constantly working right it's it's a, it's a hectic schedule for sure yeah all right so next time for your listening home or watching homework we have season two episode seven home on the remains and episode eight dream a little dream and i guess if we're playing our take a wild guess and make fun of our, our guesses next week home on the remains that's to me sounds like a play at home on the range right so maybe and I'm thinking like a, a derelict planet or like a space station with some people on it that they, they run across. Probably not not a Western, though. Uh, dream a little dream. Uh, I kind of came across two references to that. There's a song from the 30s called Dream a Little Dream of Me. 
so not quite the same. But that's been recorded tons of times over the years, so that probably doesn't have anything to do with this episode. So maybe the other option where the exact match is a movie, a movie from 89. It looks like it was a rom-com. I never saw it, but it's just a rom-com about an accident that swaps the minds of a married older man and a teenager chasing his dream girl. Now that sounds like a Farscape sci-fi concept. Mind swapping with the crew or the crew and somebody else or whatever and, you know, the hijinks that ensues when you're in somebody else's body, right? Yeah. And and, and I'll chip in and say for, for uh, Home on the Remains, that just makes me think of a zombie episode. So I'm going to get my hopes up for that, which probably won't happen, but I think that'd be awesome. So, yeah. Farscape zombies, please. And... Um, <laughs> I'm just going to agree with you for the second one because that sounds that sounds great, and I like the idea of the mind swipe, mind swap, not wipe. Yeah, I guess like early 2000s, like the zombie thing was all the rage, right? So I know nowadays yeah. I'm I'm kind of sick of zombies. I think we've we've over zombied shows, but yeah, back then it was probably like a fresh idea. Well, and you know, not to cross the streams, but I just finished watching the Marvel What Ifs, and there's the the zombie world, and so that's kind of fresh on my brain too. So okay. yeah brains yeah <laughs> all right so that is your homework for next time and we will see you then goodbye